0: Welcome to the Useless Genius Podcast. Today in our first ever hour-long episode, we're going to be talking about 3D printing, what it is, how it works, and how it is not quite what it looks like at a glance, in some cases. So, for 3D
1: three uh, D printing, uh, it's, for those of you who are, well, have been in a coma for
0: uh, two to three, no, wait, no. Four decades probably that would be like four um, or so yeah like almost 40 years I guess uh, so for those of you who've been in a uh, coma since well the 1990s probably um, or about the 1990s uh, 3d printing is uh, basically taking files and or taking a 3d file or a 3d part file that's been designed on a computer and putting it into a cnc machine that's made to print uh 3d parts well also known as a 3d printer because that's that's what they are um so there's a couple different uh i mean there's the origin of 3d printing uh it's a very it's an older technology than you think. A lot of people think that, oh, well, you know, um, 3D printing, you know, must have been around for, like, the past five years or something, you know, maybe 10. But in reality, it's actually been around all the way back since the 1980s um, is really when 3D printing started to ever become a concept um, or was really conceived Uh It was a very, you know, it wasn't super widespread in the 1980s, but you know, in um, 1981 uh, Hideo Kodama was trying to find a way to develop a rapid prototyping system, Uh, and that's how he uh, decided, hey wait a minute, what if we made a thing that could basically print out uh, prototypes or parts? Like, well, A 3d printer Um, and he actually developed uh, one of the types of uh, 3d printing we're going to talk about real quick here and actually I'll just talk about it right now Um, it's SLA printing Uh, stereolithography is what SLA stands for I remember correct Um, and it's also called resin printing so it was the really the first type of 3D printing to actually be uh, really introduced Um, and uh, it it basically relies on a photo curing resin meaning a resin that actually turns into you know bonds together and cures um, into you know a solid object when it's exposed to excessive amounts of light so you know basically it would the uh, 3d printer would have a vat of resin uh, and they still and these are still i mean you can still buy these 3d printers they're actually very good for very small detailed parts um, such as miniatures and models and stuff Um, and what they uh, essentially do is they will um, have a plate that is upside down that goes down into a vat of resin and a laser or oftentimes essentially what is a phone screen um, on these newer models will project excessive amounts of light into the spots where it needs to be in order to build what are called layers now layers the layers are a very very important concept in 3d printing kind of across the board because 3d printers they work layer by layer basically at the end of the day 3d printers they start from the bottom you know they start from the bottom of a part and they build on top of it you know most of the time and they'll have there's other you know ways of building on top of things that aren't the part or dissolving away things that aren't the part and all sorts of stuff but at the end of the day 3d printers generally they're going to build you know they're going to uh, build the part um in lots and lots of tiny little layers, um, which is why on some 3D prints you'll see little like lines or a kind of sheen to it, or you'll you know you'll feel kind of a scratchy texture because those are actual layers. Um, but that's besides the point. Back to the main thing: uh, stereolithography or resin printing uses this photo curing resin. Um, so it, you put a vat of this uh down or there's a vat of this down vat of the resin down at the bottom um the plate um as the light actually shines onto the resin it'll cure and some and the bottom layer will bond to the you know the plate that is upside down and the plate will gradually climb out of the vat of resin and more resin will be um cured on top of the resin that is already there And basically what it'll do is it'll, it'll, um, partially cure this, um, photoresin, um, and which will bond it together and, you know, stick it to the actual, what we would call the build plate, which is where the actual part is made, um,
1: on the printer, you know, the work area, um, of the printer. And so, um... You know,
0: once it's done, basically, you know, the build plate will just move up a little extra and you pull the part off gently. Now, with stereolithography printing, um, then you have to wash the part and then, uh, wash the part out with like acetone and then cure it because of the resin, which we'll talk about later. Um, but it was really the first type of 3D printing. So
1: now in, uh, 1986, uh, or well, in the 19, uh, after um Hideo Kodama,
0: um, developed the first you know early um SLA printing systems, or SLA uh, uh 3D printer, um, some French researchers, uh, which were also seeking to make a a uh 3D printer for exactly the same thing, rapid prototyping, and, um, you know, functional
1: parts. Um, they uh, they actually, uh, they didn't, they
0: strayed a little bit. They did a similar thing. They used SLA, but they uh, actually used a laser instead of
1: <clears throat>
0: uh, UV light, which is what uh, Kodama used. But that was kind of a that wasn't really like a huge development. It was just a little side note to add in there. Um but uh in nineteen eighty eight, uh Carl uh Deckard uh at uh the University of Texas uh filed the patent for the first SLS uh 3D printer, which uh is then one of a one of the three uh, D printing methods still used today and essentially how SLS works is you have um it's very common in uh like large 3D printing businesses and uh you know the machines are very expensive but they can produce they're one of those types of machines that can produce very very high quality results every time so essentially with SLS what you do is you have what's called a powder or like a like a binding powder that basically it's a powder of a very fine very you know i you know very pure powder of whatever plastic or metal or whatever you're trying to actually um whatever you're actually trying to whatever material you are trying to make the part out of and ha- what happens is um a high power laser
1: and we're talking really really powerful definitely uh i think at least you know like uh you know 40 50 watts uh-huh. it's
0: it'll it'll be a pretty high powerful co2 laser um basically uh shoots down the the layers you know we talked about earlier the layers but it basically draws the layers on that powder and that the laser gets that powder that fine powder so hot that it fuses together for that layer and then the next um it'll advance uh and it'll start with the bottom layer if i remember correct and then that layer will move down uh below the line where the powder is then it'll make the next layer then the next layer and so on and so forth and it'll Uh, do this for you know the layers or how many ever layers it needs to make uh, until it's done with the part and this is a pretty um, high quality 3d printing uh, system especially you know it's used in industrial environments medical environments stuff like that because uh, all you have to do is remove a powder for some other methods you have to remove actual like plastic supports or resin supports that are really like built into the print whereas this you just basically dust it off and the part is done that's that's all um but those um the next one which we're going to talk about which uh was really where um 3d printing started to grow a lot and this is where 3d printers are you know uh known a lot more and actually at my business we use this type of 3d printer but uh we may look at expanding to other ones in the future uh is fdm printing um which is fdm is just fusion uh or filament deposition modeling um which is just fancy terms for we take a string of plastic uh shoot
1: it through a hot nozzle and then shoot it on top of other plastic that's yeah, also, we shoot
0: it on top of other plastic from that nozzle and do that, you know, 500 times over 24 hours to make 500 layers or whatever, and you get a 3D printed part. Um, and, you know, that's that's basically all it is. It's the most accessible by far uh, 3D printing method. Well, actually, with the exception of SLS, because SLS machines actually... In, some cases can even be cheaper than FDM machines. So FDM and SLS machines are the two most accessible and inexpensive three D printing methods. Um, but FDM is very widely used, and uh, within in the nineties, um, and then eventually, you know, in the uh, early two thousands, and then from then on, three uh, D printing really started to grow rapidly. Um, as you know as f d m uh three d printers were becoming used more widely a little a little more widely that is um, and uh you know all sorts of inexpensive more more or less inexpensive three uh, d printers are out there nowadays thanks to all of this decades of uh work but uh At that time, it was really a new technology, so many of those machines were very expensive and were much more limited, but um, they really pioneered, a lot of machines like that really pioneered, uh, a lot of machines in the 90s, early 2000s, and mid-2000s really pioneered 3D printing um, a lot. Um, And uh, also around this time, CAD, um, so computer-aided design, meaning the parts the the tools that actually or the software that you would run on a computer to actually make 3d files or to design 3d parts which again shameless plug my business does um but you know i can plug whatever i want it's my podcast and don't get to don't complain if you don't want to complain don't listen anyways uh cad tools became more available um uh except for SolidWorks because they charge $3000 a year for their base model. Um I
1: still don't know why, but I don't know. I guess they do. Uh <laughs> So uh
0: anyways, as CAD tools became more accessible, um 3D printing became much more widespread because w- a lot more people started designing 3d parts and you know learning how to design objects and all sorts of things that they actually wanted turned into you know 3d prints and this led to um kind of you know the boom of 3d printing and you know a lot more
1: really where it started to become popular anyways that was really long and drawn out but um
0: I would say that another reason that um, FDM printing became more popular is because of SLS uh, printing because SLS printing used photo curing resin which you may or may not know this but it's actually really really nasty um, if you expose your skin to it you can per I mean within maybe one or two exposures you will permanently damage your skin Um, and have, you know, you can have much more serious damage next time that you accidentally touch uncured photoresin, which is why you have to wash the parts, um, and leave them out in the sun for, like, a day to dry for safety. After that, they're completely inert, but, um, that's one of the drawbacks of SLS, whereas FDM 3D printing, you're just melting hot plastic, so as soon as the 3D printer cools down when you're done printing, it's, it's safe, it's fine. I mean, there's nothing, there's no ongoing hazards um, of storing the plastic or anything generally. So that's kind of like a, kind of how how uh, the 3D printing, like how 3D printers um, themselves work and some of the different methods and, you know, a couple uh, pluses and minuses of each and there's a lot more 3D printing methods that I I'm I know I'm not covering but I just there's not time um for that sort of stuff um well actually there's one more that I I'd, I'd want to cover is uh, metal 3D printing which is actually becoming a little more accessible but um it used to be mainly metal 3D printing now people say metal 3D printing as if it's a separate thing it's not always a separate thing a lot of the time I believe it's I believe it was uh just SLS printing but you could melt uh metal with a laser but SLS machines were really expensive but now it's becoming a little more accessible as you can buy rolls of like plasticized filament for <clears throat> um FDM 3D printers which will basically shoot out a bunch of molten plastic mixed with you know uh metal uh, metal filings um, of a very, you know, a very certain ratio of metal filings and very certain, <clears throat> sorry, there, uh, mix of metals uh, to get exactly what, you know, metal you want. And you take these plasticized parts, you send them to the company that makes that filament, and they will actually, uh, what's called sinter them, which means they will take these parts which are 3D printed plastic with a bunch of big metal shavings in it and then put them in an oven which bakes the plastic out while simultaneously melting and fusing that uh, metal together so um, metal 3D printing is becoming more accessible um, every day but the filament for it is still very expensive I mean you can go let's just
1: look it up right now Um, BASF sells it BASF metal 3D printing filament. BASF ultra metal
0: 3D printing filament. Three kilograms at... Uh, yeah, so three kilograms of this uh, 3D printing filament,
1: which actually is... Um, let's see here. 80% of... 3 kg so it's actually about two
0: and a half kilograms of metal because you have it actually about 20% of the um, actual material on the spool of this filament of this metal 3d printing filament is just plastic holding the metal shavings which gets baked away so you actually have to 3d print the parts at about 120% size to get the correct size once they're sintered together um after you send them back to BASF and they put them in an oven and
1: uh do all that. But anyways, so this let's look here. It is Yeah, two hundred dollars. So per pound that would be I uh, slash that's a lot of calculations so see here um so it's about 80
0: dollars per kilogram which is 2.2 pounds of metal which yeah, seems like a lot, but um from compared to 3D printing plastics and other stuff, that's insane. Um so metal 3D printing it's becoming more accessible, but um it's still quite expensive. So quite a uh, bit of calculations there. Sorry about those uh
1: the uh little silent moments there. Um so back to the main Back to the
0: kind of main thing. There's a lot of other types of 3D printing methods that I'm not going to be covering. And honestly, most of this uh, 3D printing uh, podcast is probably going to be focused on actually uh, FDM 3D printing because that's what we have most experience with. But some of it will be focused on other types. And I mean, you know... Uh SLA 3D printing we are also somewhat knowledgeable on and we're planning on getting into in the future but it is you know you have to be very careful with it it is actually quite uh, hazardous um, there's a lot of hazardous chemicals involved with SLA printing um, which is
1: why it's taken so long um, here so some other types of 3d
0: printing uh, that I might not be covering or that I'm not covering, I mean, there's uh, polyjet 3D printing, there's, yeah, I can't think of any others, but there's like a bunch of, there is a bunch of other types of 3D printing, Um, and there's many different ways to make a 3D object, it's just that simple by building up materials, there's just many different ways to do that and you know making a 3d object doesn't necessarily constitute 3d printing because 3d printing is additive manufacturing um, so some things like cnc machines they're not 3d printers and nor are they you know 3d printing anything just because they're making a 3d object they're actually you know for some cases like a laser cutter that's a laser cutter it's subtractive manufacturing because what it is, what is it doing it's taking a laser it's literally vaporizing any material that it should not be on the part and then leaving behind material so there's a difference between additive and subtractive manufacturing i figured i would point out um and it might be a common misconception that people don't really notice um so with that it's a uh, shameless plug time ad break and speaking of 3d printing this podcast just so happens to be sponsored by Johan 3d LLC which offers 3d printing services laser cutting services and CNC services along with CAD design and part drafting services. and uh, oh yeah my paycheck Um, think that will think that our company will be expensive uh, because we're based out of the US think again because we use a proprietary computerized quoting and pricing calculation system that allows us to manufacture parts at a price you'll love, even in low quantities or one-off parts. It doesn't matter if you get a good price every time. Uh, We offer wonderful customer service and you're always talking to an actual human whenever you're contacted by us. Um, Oftentimes it's me. Um, And to top it all off, uh, well, we've mentioned this before, we're completely based within the US. So head on over to www.johann3d.weebly.com and use code genius in the quoting form. Just put it in the uh, extra comments or questions box, doesn't matter, and we'll automatically apply a 10% discount to your project. Again, that's www j-o-h-a-n-n-3-d-dot-w-e-e-b-l-y-dot-com and use code G E N I U S genius, to get a 10% discount on your first project today. Now that's the end of my shameless plug for my own small business and back to the podcast. So, um, we're going to be transitioning over to FDM 3D printing because all the other 3D printing methods are awkward and just yeah it's it's a very a lot of very complicated stuff but what we do have experience with is ftm uh, 3d printing so a uh, simple type of 3d printing basically you're shooting hot plastic onto a usually heated glass plate and then layering other lines of hot plastic on top of that and then after a while you end up with an actual part so we're gonna start off with how these 3d files are actually loaded or what they are so what is an STL file Um, some of you may or may not have heard about an STL file an STL file is a uh, well I believe it stands for stereolithography file Um, so it it is a file that is it's a 3d model file And they're very hard to edit, so, like, uh, CAD, if you're having a CAD project done or anything, uh, don't send these to CAD drafters. They can't do anything with them. I mean, you can, and we we can kind of do some stuff with them, but they're very, very hard to edit. And that's because STL files are files of whatever model, you know, or whatever part, whatever 3D object... Um, that the uh, model is actually of in the form of thousands and thousands uh, well sometimes thousands of of um, triangles because triangles can be linked into really any shape given that they vary the size given that the size varies enough um, and they can you know they can adapt to all sorts of different shapes. But that's how STL files actually, that's what they're actually comprised of, is thousands of small triangles. And that's why CAD drafters, I can guarantee you, hate them because you have to, uh, to edit those files, you have to edit those triangles individually um, to change the part geometry at all. And then you have to relink the ends of those triangles or else the whole file is screwed and will not work. Anyways, that's off the topic. So that's what an STL file is. But they're good for 3D printing because you can load them right into the uh, pre-processing or slicer software for an FDM 3D printer or most other uh, 3D printers. Now, what's a slicer? Um, a slicer is basically software that tells your 3D printer what to do. I know, I know, I know. It's uh, you may think that 3D printers are like uh, well. Those uh, Boston Dynamics robots, or Michael Reeves Boston Dynamics uh, dog that pees beer into a cup, you know, or Mark Zuckerberg, where they're like really smart robots that can uh, simulate humans or whatever, but they're they're really not. In reality, three D printers are actually really dumb, and the thing that is telling you telling the three D printer what to do most of the time. Is an SD card with a bunch of preloaded instructions from your computer. Um, so, how we load files for 3D printing is we actually take the STL file and plug it into the software called a slicer, usually made by the 3D printer manufacturer. They have their own, oftentimes, they have their own crappy little proprietary version, which is sometimes usable. Um, and, you know, there's also ones that are open source that support multiple types of printers. Um, and you can set the parameters for your printer. Um, and basically what it, what this slicer does is it takes, um, the part that you're trying to make and it breaks it down. It slices it into hundreds, depending on the layer thickness. Um, so meaning how far up the 3d printer actually goes after putting the layer of plastic down or a line of plastic down um depending on how how small that layer thickness is or how big that layer thickness is you know you can have really high res part that's you know takes forever to print or a really low res part that takes like five minutes to print
1: um and you know it's it's a lot of um there's a lot of uh, things that you can change
0: in slicers as well. I mean, you can change temperature. You can ta- you can change um, speed. You can sp- change the speed that the 3D printer moves at for, and even down to which speed it moves for certain steps. So if the 3D printer is just moving from one place to another and not printing anything, it moves at this speed. If it's printing something on the outside of the part, it moves at this speed. If it's printing on the bottom of the part and only the bottom of the part, it moves at this speed. And you can set all sorts of stuff in these slicers. So basically, you, you plug everything into the slicer, and a lot of the times you have to build or you have to find what's called a print profile. So meaning a profile of the plas- the you know the plastic that you're trying to literally melt and lay down into a part. Um you have to find a a file um of settings that is good at making that particular 3D printer print that plastic, you know, in its current configuration, which, you know, you can do online sometimes, but also, you know, just dialing it in. I mean, I've dial I've taken some of my, you know, profiles, it's, it's taken, you know, a year and I've, I've dialed them in for basically a year straight um, to dial in some of these 3D uh, printing profiles, which is why I don't really share them very much because they're very, very valuable.
1: Um, but sometimes it just takes a lot of time. Um, so
0: yeah, once you've got all the settings figured out that are okay or that m- will manage to print the part, um, in the slicer, you can actually load it onto, um, you could, most printers, you can also plug into them with a USB cable and run it directly from your computer. Um, especially if you don't have an SD card lying around or you're just, I don't know, you just want to leave your computer near a 3D
1: printer that's, yeah, I don't know why, but if you want to, then you can, that's no problem. Um, but
0: most of the time, um, you just load the file onto an SD card, and what you do is you go to the printer and you tell it print, and the the printer really doesn't have that much settings or that many settings or you know um, features or v- very much brains in and of itself. Three uh, D printers they really they're very basic. They can't they're you know if you look at one it fits on your desk and it's got all of these. Control boards for very heavy um, uh, stepper motors that have to move parts, uh, or that have to move, you know, the three D printer uh, motion system. You know, the actual carriage that carries the the top of the or that carries the hot end, uh, as we call it, of the three D printer around the nozzle. Um, you know, you have the the circuit boards that control all those. Um, you have the power supply which takes up space you have all sorts of things that take up space and what you're left with is you basically 3d printer motherboards are very dumb they don't need to be very smart either because all they're doing is they're taking whatever is on the sd card uh, whatever is fed to them by the sd card or by the print or by the computer and then they're just following that you know coordinate by coordinate literally you know um how it works is it's a it's translated um once your part is, once the part is sliced uh in the slicer it actually is translated to um what is called g code or geometric code which basically gives in each line of code gives you know a certain type of movement uh to make and then the next coordinate and the next action to do but you know it's basically very super simple actions but thousands tens of thousands i mean you know hundreds possibly millions of these individual lines of geometric code in one 3d print that the 3d printer is just following step by step really fast it's following them really fast so it looks like it's doing a lot of computer processing but in reality all it's doing is just reading it and doing it very quickly um so that's um what 3d fdm 3d printers are actually doing and that's why you know you have to load the file onto an sd card and stick it in the printer and all that because it actually is just literally reading the sd card and copying it exactly um so you know it's i guess you could say it's plagiarizing the sd card or whatever um, so that's how, uh, the slicer works. And that's a very lengthy explanation, but there's, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a very, um, uh, it gives you a lot of room to, uh, experiment with settings. The slicer is where, you know, all the settings and all the things that really, ex- really affect, um, besides the quality of your machine because there's good machines there's bad machines i mean you can get some 3d printers for 80 dollars from china and they're going to be bad Um, as opposed to you know say if you want to go to you know you want to go to like a you know if you want to go like get a huge 3d printer that's made by a reputable manufacturer like if i wanted to get a modix um big 60 3d printer which is a huge 3d printer but it it's made by you know a, a reputable company it's got linear guide rails on it it's got all this all these bells and whistles that make it really accurate really high quality every single time um whereas some of these machines that you can get for really really cheap they're good for like You know beginner stuff or to have on your desktop lying around printing printing away you know uh fun little things but you know professionally they wouldn't really work um because you know that on top of the slicer that you use the only other thing that really matters is the actual quality of the printer itself um which will really affect you know it can affect your print quality um quite a bit actually we started off with a very uh, well we got a 3d printer uh for free um we started off with that and it you know what we managed to make it print and we still have it lying around uh we're still planning on making it run a little bit just for fun little projects or whatever not for commercial use but um it was a it was a printer that cost 170 dollars as opposed to a printer that costs like $500, which instantly just drastically improves the print quality um, without even you know doing any settings or dialing in anything. Um, so sometimes upgrade equipment upgrades make it quite a big difference. But you know on the other thing that makes a difference if you've got the top of the line equipment or if you've got decent equipment and it's not printing right check your slicer because the slicer and the actual settings that you're setting on your computer to make the file that goes into the 3d printer or that the 3d printer reads and copies um, which also includes the temperatures and the speeds by the way Um, so it actually automatically turns on the heaters and stuff to the right temp uh, temperatures and all that Uh, specifies that at the beginning of the geometric code uh, file essentially um if the equipment that you have um is decent you've got decent quality equipment so you know let's say you bought for $300 an ender 3 plus uh or an ender 3 uh 3d printer very very common 3d printer from china they're kind of mid you know mid-range uh 3d printers they're about 300 bucks and they're pretty good they're they're a good standard for 3d printing and they make good parts um as a matter of fact at our business we use creality machines but we don't use ender th- well we had an ender 3 but um we actually use a little bit bigger machines um and we're planning on maybe switching from creality to a different uh 3d printer company that can provide higher capacity machines in the future uh when we decide to get more machines but uh, as for right now and uh pulling back to the main topic um when uh so basically yeah if you if you're 3d printing and um your machine is decent quality at least um and even if it's crap quality and you're getting bad prints and the machine works you know at all um it it's probably something that has to do with how you're slicing the files or how you're processing it or how you're setting up the plastic and that's you know no one's fault it's just it's just something that's tedious and has to be dialed in and no one wants to share it and everyone's greedy and you know myself included I want to sell the print profiles I wouldn't just give them away they're so valuable they took so much time to make I mean it, yeah, I would. I would definitely only sell them probably for a very high amount of money, and you know. SpongeBob, me boy, I just can't give these away for free. You see, I, I, I wouldn't. I would lose too much money. Arr, 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 arr. Anyways, um, so that's kind of that. Uh, that took way longer than that should have, but the uh, next thing uh, after that is what actually happens um, and, and just kind of a little insight what kind of happens when you send a part to a manufacturing company um, now it depends um, right now johan 3d llc is kind of a smaller to mid-range uh, business but we're planning on growing this business consistently for a long a long time and becoming a much larger business in the future, hopefully. Um, but the larger businesses they'll use you know automated quotes, they'll have hundreds of employees, and they'll be able to get stuff done, you know, really quick. They'll charge a lot more because they've got to pay for a lot more stuff, a lot more employees, more expensive machines, higher quality stuff. But that's just what you're paying for. So companies like this, you know, this would be like Zometry, Proto Labs, um, other companies like that but the thing about those companies is you know they charge a lot um they really do charge a lot because they've got to pay for a lot and they're large corporations and if you're just joe schmo on the street and you need one 3d printed part sometimes it's better to maybe and not to well you know what screw it it is a shameless plug for my business but seriously Most of the time, if you submit a form on my, uh, or if you submit a form on the business website, um, of our company, it will go straight to my email and I will respond to it personally. Um, usually, and I will, you know, I'll, uh, we are flexible. We leave in, um, you know, we leave in flexibility and pricing and all of that. And we try to accommodate business partnerships more than much larger businesses, um, Although we intend to actually you know main try and maintain that even as a even as a business that gets a little bit larger, but that's off topic that doesn't have to do with three d printing that's just marketing and you know plugging my own business and yeah that's that's boring, dumb stuff that I don't need to talk about. Sorry for making you listen to about a minute of that probably um so When you send a part to a manufacturing company, maybe like our company, basically I will take your part, I'll put it through the slicer, and then I'll take that and um, take the parameters from the slicer, or it'll automatically take the parameters from the slicer and send it through my proprietary software, um, which will take any parameters for costs, you know, materials, electricity everything i it's not just the plastic you have to pay for you have to pay pay for equipment wear. you have to pay for replacement parts which is included in equipment wear. you have to pay for time that employees spend starting the 3d printers and removing the parts from the 3d printers and throwing them in the packages you have to pay for the packaging you have to pay for the shipping you have to pay for the tax you have to pay for paypal fees on and on and on these you know little nickel and dime things so there's actually a lot of calculation in there, which is why I can, you know, which is why with our proprietary software, it makes it quite a bit easier um, because we basically just throw in two parameters, uh, well, three parameters, and it'll give us an accurate price down to the cent um, that we can then give you so that you can get the lowest price possible on your part. Uh, and Proto ProtoLabs, uh, some, you know, other companies like that do a similar thing, though they don't they they charge a lot more because they have to. Um and there's also less of a personal relationship there usually because it's a large corporation, so you're not talking to uh you're talking to an employee. It's not their business, so they're not gonna run it like the business owner. Again, shameless plug. Whatever. Um so uh something about 3D printing I think might be a bit of a misconception. Uh, there are like YouTube channels you'll see out there that have parts that look like they take the part off the printer and it looks pristine, it looks wonderful, like it, it's, it's flawless. And yes, it's possible to do that. Is it very, 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 very difficult, time intensive, money intensive, and just a nightmare to do? like your life has to be about 3d printing and nothing else at all to do it yeah yes that's exactly it but you can it is achievable with uh fdm 3d printing now with resin 3d printing it's a little bit easier to get like a higher surface finish and some other types of 3d printing like sls and all that um sls and uh you know sla um well no not sla sorry that's resin printing um, SLS, Polyjet, these expensive 3D printing methods uh used by large corporations, uh, by larger corporations that is, um, are you know they are made to produce uh they're made to produce perfect parts like every time. Um, because that's all those companies can really afford. Whereas with FDM prints, you can have issues. Um, so and also depending on the type of plastic Um, so with like PLA uh, usually there's not a lot of issues Um, PLA is really a good beginner plastic um, and there's not generally many issues with actually printing it it's really easy it sticks right to the 3d printers print bed doesn't really warp doesn't really move around it's not hard to do it's the easiest thing to print and but then when you're starting to look at actually like mechanically or temperature uh uh, mechanically strong or temperature resistant parts or parts that you know aren't just uh you know PLA um then that's when you start to get into complicated stuff so and that's what I found personally so like uh PLA it's a very very easy to print plastic it's not very temperature resistant if you leave it in a hot car it'll warp and it'll warp and disfigure um, the parts to the point of no return it'll be a ruined part and it's technically biodegradable Um, now they say it's biodegradable and it's a, a very good marketing tactic because it's really not you have to take it there's maybe a couple factories in the entire world that can actually biodegrade pla and they have very very special enzymes that were created in labs by humans not naturally occurring in nature at all they don't occur in nature um, and they have to uh, industrially um, dissolve pla plastic um, to actually you know biodegrade it but it's technically biodegradable and it is made from you know like corn and other starches um, but it is it is not really biodegradable um, many tests have shown after leaving it outside in many different conditions for years and years and years and years it didn't change the part at all the part stayed exactly the same uh, with PLA so that was a little uh, misconception that I figured I would clear up um, while I was at it so then you've got abs plastic it's pretty well known for being you know plastic used for cheap feeling things and uh sewer pipes you know those black uh, plastic pipes Um, not the white plastic pipes those are pvc polyvinyl chloride but the black ones are abs acrylonitrile butadiene styrene which is actually a mix of three different sorts of plastic so acrylonitrile is like um um or uh yeah acrylonitrile which is basically you know kind of a acrylic based uh with some uh nitrile in there um plastic component and then uh, butadiene which or butadiene which is another plastic a common plastic component and then styrene yeah the same stuff from like packing peanuts and foam you know styrofoam it's the same type of thing um so polystyrene is also a component and there's different mixes which makes abs very different from manufacturer to manufacturer uh with plastic like temperatures and all sorts of stuff but there are some upsides to that um and after pla a lot of uh 3d printing you know a lot of 3d uh, printers start uh, 3d printers started to use abs because it was more temperature resistant than PLA you could leave it in a hot car, you could leave it in the sun Uh, heck, uh, one of my first ever client um, I 3D printed parts out of PLA for his truck Um, and this was a year ago, I mean and, you know, glued them onto the truck and all the PLA parts fell off within the same week I finally 3D printed some out of ABS plastic and, you know, glued them on there and they're still there completely intact, completely undamaged, no problems, exactly as I install them to this day. And those are handles for lifting up like a um lifting up a pickup truck uh bed cover which, you know, they're actually frequently used and the old ones broke off. But you know, it's it's mechanically it's strong and it's it's pretty good but there's some downsides uh there were some downsides to it um it can get brittle and uh and especially if it has way too much sun exposure over way too long like eventually it'll get sun damaged or you know eventually it gets brittle and it, it's not as flexible it doesn't have as much bend to it as much you know so much as it just snaps. Um, and it feels a little cheaper in some cases, um, although 3D printed parts usually never feel really cheap because um, they're yeah, they're they're usually very very solid <laughs> um, and have complex support structures inside of them um, fun fact 3D prints are actually uh, almost all the time, they're not actually 100% plastic because uh, that would be not economical, they're the outside is completely plastic like there's a skin on the outside of the part which is completely plastic and then you can set the infill meaning a plastic structure that takes up a certain amount of density within the part so 30% infill would mean inside of those solid walls of the part 30% of the inside of that part is plastic and the other 70% is air but it's still very strong um so anyways besides that besides the point um and then the third type of plastic um is kind of uh what a lot of printers switch to um oh another thing to mention about abs um it can get uh brittle but also when it's 3d printing you have to ventilate the room um and it's very it's very sensitive to drafts so you can't really just ventilate the room like blow air through there or else it'll it'll warp the the abs parts and screw them up but with the um you cannot you also can't just sit in the room uh, with the printer that's 3d printing abs the fumes are bad for are very very harmful and they're actually carcinogens they can cause cancer over time Um, so there's a lot of actually hazardous chemicals and fumes and stuff in 3d printing that people might not think about but it's, it's actually a bit ha- more hazardous than you think, and you have to be careful. You know, you have to make sure that you're doing your research and staying safe. But the kind of best of both worlds with PLA and ABS was ended up being kind of PETG. Um, although, really, it's more nylon. Well, actually, not nylon, because nylon is very, very hard to print. But PETG, it's not super impact-resistant. Um... Unlike like ABS uh or PLA, but it's it's somewhat impact resistant. Um it's very sanitary. In many cases, it's food safe technically. Um the outside of the plastic is food safe, but 3D prints are not really always they,
1: they can be food safe, but it's it's a little bit hard to do. Um and uh you know, but PETG was also very
0: temperature resistant. Um, you know, more temperature resistant than PLA, it won't just warp uh randomly in a hot car or something. Um and it's it's sun resistant too as well. And also another nice part about it is unlike ABS, you can 3D print it wherever you want. It doesn't matter. It's not a it doesn't emit any fumes. Nothing. It's not a carcinogen hazard or anything. Uh, PLA, when you print it, you might uh, smell a bit of like a sugary smell almost. That's because it's like made of actual like starches uh, in the plastic. But it's, you know, the... uh, It's mostly inert. Um, And so is PETG. But PETG just has no smell. It doesn't give off any fumes, which is nice. And in case you're wondering what the actual um, chemical names Um, so I said uh, acrylonitrile butadiene styrene ABS um, was the acronym for ABS PLA stands for polylactic acid Um, so lactic acid which is kind of a naturally occurring uh, acid and then poly so meaning it's formed into a polymer or plastic chain Um, ABS is, I believe it's like a, um, it's a thermo, it's, it's a different, uh, kind of family of plastics. Um, it's not a polymer really. Whereas PLA, it's more of a, it's a, it's a polymer, you know, it's a lactic acid polymer. And then PETG is also a polymer. It's also sometimes called, uh, co, uh, cpe copolymer um or yeah it's there's a lot of different names for it but it is a polymer um, and petg um if you actually take a disposable water bottle um and look at it and you see the a recycling mark you know the little recycle sign that says pet that's what this is this is pet but the g uh stands for glycol um which is or glycerin uh if i remember correct no it's it's glycol uh which basically keeps it from crystallizing when it's 3d printed um because pet is uh without glycol is like uh it's more it's better for uh uh injection molding because it releases from the mold really easy whereas with 3d printing you do not want your part to unstick from the actual 3d printer or else it will ruin them instantly um so they added in uh i believe it was
1: uh glycol modifier i think it's let's look it up right now let's see yeah glycol that's what i thought it was just wanted to make sure
0: um but yeah petg um so uh, PET is polyethylene terephthalate, um, which is, it's a, it's a mouthful to pronounce, but just look it up, look up how it's spelled, and it's, it's even harder to spell. Um, but, you know, PETG is polyethylene terephthalate glycol. Um, ABS is acrylonitrile butadiene styrene, or butadine styrene. And PLA is polylactic acid. Those are some three like the most common um uh, 3D printing plastics. And then for flexible 3D printing plastics, there's also TPU, which we also offer 3D prints in. Um, and that is a that's also a polymer. It's a polyurethane. Um so it stands for thermoplastic T. Uh or it stands for thermoplastic TP. Um uh polyurethane. And they didn't add in and they didn't call it T uh TPU. Um they just put in one P for the acronym, so it's just thermoplastic polyurethane. Um so that's what TPU is, and that's an it's a flexible plastic, um, which is common for 3D printing, which we also uh three D print part 3D print parts in. Um so getting on to just some uh, other things, uh a few Print quality problems that are some common ones that you'll notice with fdm printing uh stringing blobbing
1: and then um you know under extrusion over extrusion uh
0: overheating layer shifting which is a, a fate kind of a more fatal error a lot of some of these errors are really definitely will totally ruin your print um there's a lot of lot of issues that can happen while you're 3d printing so i'm just going to go down a list i basically made here um not extruding uh, or non-extrusion so basically if the nozzle's too close to the bed or something's blocking it or whatever it just won't shoot out any plastic at all remember this nozzle is 0.4 millimeters in diameter that's the average 3d printer nozzle diameter um of the actual opening so that's literally um, that's just a smidge above the size of an acupuncture needle and you can get smaller nozzles than that Um, but to clean these nozzles to unclog them you actually have to poke an acupuncture needle through the nozzle Um, because that's just how small it's actually extruding the uh how small of a hole the plastic is actually being extruded out of um so you know getting a block nozzle is uh with ftm 3d printing is not it's not common if you've got it dialed in but you know it's not um it's not exactly uncommon um so then you've got under extrusion well you've got not sticking t- uh you've got uh, non-sticking so Uh, Sometimes if you're 3D printing, you see plastic laying down, and it is laying down, but it's not sticking. Maybe it's peeling up. There's a lot of factors that can cause that. Temperature. Um, A lot of times you might have to use glue to hold things down. If you're using the wrong type of bed uh, material, if you're using, um, you know, something that's slippery or something. Um there's all sorts of factors that could make the print not stick to the actual uh, build plate itself then you've got under extrusion so you've got so the part works successfully but then there's gaps in the printer or in the actual 3d printed part because there's not enough plastic coming out Um, that can be caused by 3d printer errors um, or you know mechanical failures that cause the printer to not be able to push enough plastic through the actual nozzle, um, because it does manage doing that with an actual extruder motor, um, and and an extruder that actually pushes this, this, basically this, uh, um, eights, about maybe eighths inch thick, or, well, one sixteenth of an inch in diameter, uh, plastic string through a hot nozzle, um, so, you know, if any part of that extruder mechanism with the motor on it is broken, you know, often you can see under extrusion or you can see gaps. Um, you can see um, layer separation and splitting. You can see, you know, uh, where it stops extruding in the middle of the print. That could also be caused by running out of plastic. Um,
1: there's all sorts of issues that can be caused by that, and, um, uh, another,
0: some other, there's a bunch of other common issues, you know, there's overheating, where too much heat is put into the part, and it just warps and deforms, stringing and oozing, so little tiny strings of plastic when the 3D printer moves to different parts of the actual part, or different, you know, um, Elements design elements of the actual part, so if it's say it's three d printing a uh i don't know a house and it's three d printing the garage door and then it and then it moves over to three d printing the part that's the kitchen table, and you know it strings uh it accidentally has some it has some issues with stringing so it leaves a a tiny minuscule string of plastic between the garage door and the kitchen table. Um that sort of thing. And there's all sorts of So there's basically there's all sorts of issues. Um some of the big issues that will kill your print that are common I that are, I see are common with um warping is common with almost any plastic uh any plastic. Well, it's not common, but it's it's able to happen on almost any plastic. Um uh delamination it's very common on abs plastic because um abs cools and shrinks very rapidly so you have to keep it really really heated up or else basically the part um as it is 3d printed will cool down too fast in certain areas and not it won't cool down and shrink um in other areas and it'll start to unstick itself from the actual 3d print bed and it'll uh separate the layers of plastic from each other and literally tear itself apart it'll totally ruin the print Um, and then there's one last uh problem that i've had a couple times and i've learned the hard way um always make sure that the first layer of the 3d print goes right because if it doesn't and it unsticks and it sticks to the 3d printer nozzle You can have a very very messy and annoying situation that takes a little while to clean up on your hands and I call it- and uh, prepare your ears for this loud noise-
1: El Blob de Muerte!
0: Um, Basically where a part unsticks from the printer build plate and sticks to the hot nozzle of the 3d printer and then melts around it in a blob and then all the plastic that's being extruded out also melts into that blob and then you've got this brick of plastic that is surrounding your 3d printer in the morning when you come to get the print and then you got to heat it up for like 15 minutes and get all of the plastic off of the nozzle assembly and it it is a pain in the butt but it i've had to do it a couple times before and you know eventually you just know how to do it
1: all right. And then kind of the uh final uh final section here. Um post-processing. Yuck. That's
0: it's there's um so with post-processing, um basically what it is is you're taking the part off of the 3D printer and because, you know, maybe it has some blobs or some strings or some goodness knows what going on with it that you know ne- needs to be cleaned up before it goes out to a customer or it goes you know on your shelf or whatever um you've gotta get rid of that somehow so you'll use either you know you might use sandpaper you might use small clippers that work that are specific specifically made for 3d printing to clip tiny little plastic blobs or strings off you might um Use a heat gun that's very hot and can, you know, be dangerous. A soldering iron, which is hot and dangerous, um, you know, and can burn you. Uh, What else? Oh, yeah, and a lot of very, 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 very very nasty chemicals. Um, Like, uh, you use a lot of spray uh, paints, pieces... Um, you'll use, like, pr- spray primers. Like, spray paint primers that you spray them onto the part and then sand them down, which get which smooths out the part.
1: Um, and they're made to do that specifically. Uh, there's all sorts of... Um,
0: there's uh, also gluing things. Probably one of the most uh, harsh chemicals... Or one of the most harsh... Uh, until it dries once it dries it's fine it doesn't bother anything at all but when it's like gluing things together it's we have to we're really careful with it um we use plastic weld uh for some parts um which is uh dichloromethane which is basically it's this really nasty solvent that um if you put it on acrylic petg you put it on many types of plastics and it will use capillary action to basically suck itself into any even you know any crack that's even like the size of a hair or less um it literally it'll suck itself into cracks just like water um even better than water actually and it'll how these plastic solvents work or these these plastic glues work even super glue, how this is how superglue works, it's basically a plastic solvent, and that's why it works so well with acrylics and certain types of plastics, is because it is not just like sticking the two parts together really well. What it is doing is it is melt, it is chemically melting those plastics and fusing them together. So it is dissolving and then re you know rebonding the plastics together so that's why you know like super glue works really well in some cases or dichloromethane which basically if i take an acrylic piece and an acrylic piece and then i put dichloromethane you know in in between the edge it will literally melt those two edges of the acrylic pieces together and refuse it together as one acrylic piece and it will be permanently fused that way it's not stuck it there they've literally been welded um you know those two parts have just been chemically melted and then refused into one part um so you know there's some pretty nasty chemicals that you got to watch out for um and again remember that sla resin as well for sla printing that stuff uh, you can use it for smoothing 3d prints as well but it is nasty If you touch the uncured resin, so the liquid resin um, just a couple times and it gets on your hands and you leave it there, it will damage your immune system and um, you will no longer be tolerant of that resin at all. So next time you're exposed to it, it will affect your bodily, it it will affect your body a lot worse, like exponentially worse than before. And that's just like getting it on your finger or whatever, and not washing it off for five minutes or something, and maybe do that three times or something and there you go next time you get it on your finger, you'll get violently sick, start throwing up, and you'll and you'll have some issues then um, so with all those wonderful chemicals out of the way, uh ways of staying some things to stay safe uh kind of a last little thing to wrap up here um how 3d uh, uh here's kind of how uh 3d printers at least fdm 3d printers that we use um keep safe uh, with so basically what you have is you have a very very hot nozzle and a very very hot build plate because the build plates are heated too, up to 110 degrees celsius which is uh, in most cases up to 110 degrees celsius to fahrenheit uh 230 degrees fahrenheit and that's not that's just the build plate that you can't print plastic at that temperature at all the nozzle is like more like oven temperatures so nozzle temperature for pla like on the low end would be 410 degrees and that's like a very low temperature to print any sort of plastic at on a 3d printer um here at uh johan we 3d print um petg really hot i mean i'll just do a calculation i mean we some we used to um 3d print petg there's been some 3d prints that we've done at 245 degrees celsius or um 473 degrees fahrenheit like the nozzle temperature and that's you know 50 degrees fahrenheit over what you would cook a pizza for for 30 minutes in an oven over 24 hours unattended so you need some uh safety there which is why built into the software of, print, of most printers is um minimum temperature and maximum temperature so if the sensor gets broken or whatever and doesn't report any temperature change or doesn't report temperature it'll shut the machine down uh saying minimum temperature or it'll say maximum temperature um it'll just shut the machine down turn off all the heaters cut power to it Um, it's built into every 3d printer's code at least the moderately new ones or the ones that are updated if you get like a cheap chinese machine make sure that it's updated to have the firmware um, with minimum temperature and maximum temperature enabled so that it actually cuts itself off if it gets um, if it does end up getting too hot or become a fire hazard or the you know anything starts to catch on fire um another thing that we like to use uh for safety devices is um we have a fire extinguisher and uh, also if you don't have a fire extinguisher like an automatic fire extinguisher um or anything automatic just don't leave the printer running unattended that's you you just kind of can't it's not um it's really not safe you're basically just uh you're basically just running a a match literally an electric match uh that's that's running around on a robot uh shooting plastic you know shooting plastic while you're away uh at work or you know away at work or school or whatever um sitting right next to your blinds or whatever uh in your in your room so that's something that's not really safe but you know here at our at johan3d we have a shop so we've you know we've got it's it's a shop with like metal walls it's like a metal building with metal walls and a concrete slab and the printers are on racks separated from each other and we also use uh, automatic fire extinguishing systems such as an afc fireball so basically it's fighting fire with fire literally it's basically like a little bomb filled with fire retardant powder that if uh, fire actually reaches it it lights the fuse which is really short and then a small explosive charge covers everything in the vicinity of that ball uh instantly covers it and smothers any flames with fire retardant powder and they use these things you can take one of these uh fireball uh, extinguishers you know that are automatic you can throw it into a dumpster fire a full raging dumpster fire and it'll put it out within a couple seconds easily first first try Um, that's just how powerful these things are Uh, then also you can have a, a smoke detector or fire detection system that cuts power allows or allows you to cut power which also helps um And then also there's another uh, thing that's similar to the fireball kind of in concept it's called the blaze cut which is basically it's a pressurized tube of um, you know fire extinguishing liquid and if a fire reaches it it'll you know the fire will burn a hole in the tube and then it'll shoot the pressurized uh, fire retardant onto the actual flames Um, although the AFC Fireball is much better because it instead of just spraying one concentrated jet and then not being able to do, not being able to do anything else, the AFC Fireball coats everything in its vicinity um, with fire retardant powder and extinguishes any flames basically anywhere, um, because it just blows it just blows up a cloud of fire retardant around it. Um, so that's definitely what I would recommend and they're only like 35 bucks which if you think about your house not burning down and you being safe is pretty good um, so that's really uh, all for this episode That's that was a very long episode and I'm you know I'm not going to really do much editing to this podcast but I I'm definitely you know I'm probably, who knows I'm not going to do much editing to this podcast But uh, I figured I would just talk for You know, an hour or so Verbatim and uh, Give some of my experience about 3D printing And um, some ways that, you know Some things that you should consider Before getting into 3D printing And some uh,
1: uh, Tips and tricks, kind of And, um, you know, also a company that is willing
0: to help with 3D printing, uh, parts. If you, if you need that. Shameless plug number 69, I think that was. Anyways, so, uh, that's a bunch of 3D printing, uh, information for your brain to, um, consume there. Uh, thank you for listening and tune in next time when we talk about... I, was looking in. I don't know what we're going to talk about. You figure it out. What do you really think I was going to tell
1: you? No, no I'm not. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I'll figure it out next time. Bye.